tis the season to start over, isn't it? We, we enter into this time of year with, with great plans, with New Year's resolutions like we were hearing about last week. It's, it's time to lose weight. It's time to do things differently. It's, it's time to put God first in our lives, right? In, in all of this planning that we do at this time of the year, are you ready? Are you ready for God's will in your life? Are you prepared to take a real look at where we actually fit God and His will into our plans, our will, and our lives? If we are spirit-filled believers, hopefully the answer is, yes, I'm ready. And if it is yes, we do want to prioritize God's will in our lives. What then is the will of God for our lives? In a broad sense, it's simply Scripture. The more we know of God's Word, the more we will know what He wants of our lives and and what we should be prioritizing. And as we've been looking and, and hearing throughout the book of Acts, we are here to fill the gap, right? We've been given a task to do. We see it in various places, but the good old traditional verse of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, what does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And and we've heard that verse a million times, haven't we? And and we often sit back and we say, that's a lovely verse, but that's just not me. Baloney, that's not you. We may not know exactly how that's supposed to work itself out in your life with your gift set, but that is our call for every single one of us in Jesus Christ. We've been given the mission of being ambassadors for Christ. We are to spread the gospel of Jesus, right? Planting those gospel seeds everywhere that we go. Somehow, through us, it's been driven into us over and over again from various passages of Scripture as we've been going through this book. And and we just got to ask ourselves, has it taken root yet? Has that idea taken root in my soul? That this is who I am in Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth until he returns. We are left holding the gap. He rose into heaven. He gave us this word of command. We should be his witnesses. And until he returns, that's our objective. Who's going to share the gospel with the world if we don't? Is the world going to step up and say, oh, well, you Christians aren't doing it. Let's share the gospel. No. Questions we want to ask ourselves today is, how far are you willing to go to fill this gap? Or, or just more generally, how far you will you go to apply God's word to your life? Are we willing for our lives to change as we engage God's word? If God's word says, go here, do this, are we willing to walk in obedience then? 
And think about this. What is influencing you, even as you ponder that first question? Is it work? Friends? Family? Personal comfort? Well, I like my life just the way it is, and and I don't really think I need to change it. How will you answer the call of God upon your life? And this is not an existential question. It, it should be a reality for us. It's not ethereal or theoretical. When, where, and how am I actually willing and able to answer God's call to live for him in this year, 2019? Are you ready? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. You're going to read the first 16 verses. Acts chapter 21. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 1, it says, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not, I I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So after a bit of travel narrative in the first few verses there, Paul's friends begin to hear and and see the warnings about what will happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And that evokes in them a fear for him. But Paul had already known about this, right? If you go back to chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, what did it say there about the Spirit's will upon Paul? It says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Right? Paul already knew what was going to happen. And he was constrained. He was compelled. He was bound 
by the Spirit of God, having heard and understood the will of God for his life, he was determined to do it, like we studied some weeks ago. And then we read in our passage today, chapter 21, verse 4, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Well, how does that work? This is an interesting verse. Paul is bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and yet here Luke tells us that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Let's make some sense of this. Is there a conflict going on here? Did the Spirit of God tell Paul one thing and his friends another thing? What is going on in such a verse? Well, this is a case of the Spirit of God informing his people. The Spirit of God informs his people, and then the people fret over what the Spirit of God has told them. The Spirit of God says, this is what is going to happen in Jerusalem. And then Paul's friends hear it, and they go to Paul, and they say to him, the Spirit of God has warned us, don't go there. And the difference is between a warning and informing. The difference is subtle, but it's there. The Spirit of God informed as to what was going to happen, and Paul's friends warned Paul as to what they had heard. And this this perspective makes sense for, for several reasons. When we look at the constraint upon Paul by the Spirit to follow through on his will to go, it doesn't make any sense at all for the same Spirit to bring a warning not to go, does it? The Spirit has been clearly directing Paul from the, and his mission from the very beginning, from his conversion in chapter 9, right? And as we saw the call of Paul and Barnabas in chapter 13, verse 2. And Paul's missional interaction with the Spirit in chapter 16. And then if we look ahead, if you, if you look with me at chapter 23, verse 11, what does God say to Paul later after he kept going? 23.11, it says, The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This was the plan of God all along, and he wanted Paul to be right where he was. If we look at verse 14 of our passage today, his friends relent to the will of God, don't they? And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So they must have been able to recognize this as informative and not prohibitive will of God. They must have been able to, to, if they believed the will of God to be truly don't go, they would have kept fighting for that, right? But they give in to the will of the Lord because it was the will of the Lord that Paul continue on. When we look at what happens with Agabus a little lower in our passage, the the Spirit has given Agabus a simple fact. 
a bit of information, and, and Agabus relays that information, not as a warning, as Paul's other friends had, but simply as a statement of fact. This is what's going to happen in Jerusalem when you get there. Look at verses 10 and 11 of our passage today. It says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. It's simply a statement of fact. This is what will happen. Keep going, Paul. Not to mention, this is all parallel with what happened with Jesus before he had gone to the cross, right? Jesus knew from Scripture and the Spirit of God that the cross was coming, and he he informs his disciples. And what did Peter say? Never. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I know what I have to do. Following Jesus is not always easy. Really following Jesus is rarely easy easy. Before they relent in verse 14, and before all of this begins to make some sense to them, as the word of the Spirit increases and becomes more vivid, they see his hands and feet bound by his own belt. As Jerusalem draws closer, Paul's friends urge him even more not to go on to Jerusalem. Verse 12, what does it say? When we heard this, We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And they were pleading with tears. If we look on at verse 13, then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Surely this is not easy for Paul. Can you imagine your your friends and family gathered around you saying, Please, the tears streaming down their face. Please don't go. Please don't walk in the will of God. Surely this isn't easy for Paul. So why then would the the Spirit give all this information? Why would he do this? Why would the Spirit tell them all this if it wasn't a warning? God is good. God is good. He doesn't hide the cost of following him in a world that hates him. He will not hide the cost of following him from you. Luke 14, 26 and 27, If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever's not willing to put God's will first, to prioritize the things of God. John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
as we read through Scripture, we begin to see and understand that, that suffering and following Christ are really inseparable. 2 Timothy 1.8 Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, God sent his spirit to inform all the disciples as to what was going to be happening to Paul because God does not want us to be ignorant or uninformed. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Jesus wants us to know full well and to count the cost of following him. He won't trick you into a walk with him so that he can then watch you suffer. There's no bait and switch with Jesus Christ like there is with the world. He won't give you a prosperity gospel so that you can later shake your fist at him and wonder, why, Lord, did I not get that convertible Porsche by faith? Right? doesn't work that way. And he tells us that full well. The blessings of belonging to him are to come. May have absolutely nothing to do with this temporal world. 1 Peter 4, 13. And I have the wrong PowerPoint slide up there. I updated it too late. 1 Peter 4, 13 says, But rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The blessings of walking with Christ and sharing in the sufferings will come. So the warnings build, and the disciples plead, and it breaks Paul's heart. There were many things, as we can even see in this passage, that were attempting to influence Paul. Many things that he had to wrestle with in order to stay with Christ. To continue walking in his will and applying that will of God and his word to his life. There were the hard facts. Suffering is on its way, Paul. Who wants to suffer? Raise your hand. No, thank you, right? Cake or death? Cake, please. Right? This is why it's so hard to share the gospel at work or in public or, or even with friends and family. I don't want to lose my job. If I put a Bible on my desk and my boss has told me he hates it and I, I could lose everything I've got. I don't want my peers to look at me funny like I'm that weird religious guy. I don't want to suffer. The friends, the peer pressure, the family, the social life. I got a family to think of. Friends who wonder and question, why do you spend so much time at church? Why don't you just go out with us tonight? Even for Paul, we, we read a passage where his own will and desires stood in his way as we can read about in Philippians chapter 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. To set aside our peace and comfort is extraordinarily difficult. As dedicated as Paul was, counting his life as nothing. Verse 13, the, the second part of it, after he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he counted his life as nothing, he still had his own will and his own desires that had to be constantly placed under the authority and the will of God. All these things pressed in upon Paul. Don't go. Don't proclaim. Just don't. Your life can be easy. There's no need to suffer. Are you sure you want to be a Christian? I mean that really. Think about it. Are you sure you want to be a Christian? Are we living our lives with the will of God as our priority? What are those influences, the pressures upon your life What is it that's taking precedence over living for God in Christ Jesus? What what is it that takes our eyes off of that goal that keeps us from really prioritizing God? Where were Paul's eyes? Where did he keep his eyes? With all these influences and pressures, how is it that Paul responded in verse 13? I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die. Why would he say such a thing? Is this crazy talk? Is this a faith that is a little over the top? We really shouldn't all be expected to go there, should we? Surely God doesn't expect that of us, does he? Why would Paul do this? Why would Paul be willing to die? Why would Paul be able to to give up his life? He says, therefore, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that name mean? If that's where Paul was keeping his eyes, what, what, who is this Lord Jesus? God Almighty. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, preeminent over everything. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. There's nothing on this earth that can begin to compare to him. And these are the things that take our eyes so easily off of him. He's the Lord who brings us an undeserved salvation. Colossians chapter 1, the verses before what I just read, verses 12 to 14. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We didn't qualify ourselves. 
The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us. We didn't deliver ourselves. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that name means salvation for anyone who believes in it. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone, whosoever, anybody, regardless of age, race, generation, intelligence, whatever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. When Paul thought about who he is, in Christ, and who Jesus is, that the God of all creation took a murderous persecutor of the church and turned him into an instrument of the gospel kingdom. That the the God of all creation would dare to take us wherever we have been, whatever we have done, whatever he knew we will do, and he would dare to take us Give us salvation. Gave Paul everlasting life and forgiveness of his sin. What else is Paul supposed to do? Jesus died for him and loved him first. Lavishing upon him grace upon grace. It's it's a choice to make in our lives right now. Temporary hardship. Yes, following Christ is difficult. Temporary trials for the sake of the gospel and eternal life. Or temporary pleasure and ease in this world by going right along with them and eternal death. What were you before Christ? We were in our sin, weren't we? We were lust, we were liars, we were impatient, we were lazy, we were dishonoring to our parents, we were murderers in our hatred towards others, our lack of love towards someone else, anyone else. The list could go on and on and on of all the things that we were, and I still am these things at times. Have you ever found that? But no. No, I'm not. Not in Christ who died for my sin, past, present, and future. This is the richness of the depth of our salvation. God took me from where I was and gave me salvation, knowing everything I would be. It is in Christ we are saved. Now I'm his. I'm bought with a price. I am not my own. Do we grasp these ideas? Do we understand the depth of the richness of the salvation that we have? If I understand all this, what God has done for me in Christ, am I crazy to give my life up for him? Or am I crazy not to? Paul understood that life, eternal life, is really all about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he felt the enormity of his debt of gratitude. God saved us from an eternal debt. So our gratitude should carry with it 
an eternal depth as well, shouldn't it? Uh, a deep wealth of thankfulness for all Jesus has done and, and continues to do on our behalf. And so Paul kept his eyes on Christ no matter what the world said or did, and he was ready to say, I will live for Christ. I'll go to jail for Christ. I'll worship with hymns or contemporary songs for Christ. I'll give my time for Christ. I'll give my heart to others. I will reach out across generations. I will reach out across cultures for Christ. I'll reach into this world around me for Christ. I'll pray for Christ. I'll gather together for Christ. I will study God's word for Christ. I'll even give up myself. I would even die for Christ. I won't give up when I don't get my way because it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Are we ready? Are we really ready to live for Christ, applying what we know from his word to our lives? As a church and as individuals, no matter what may come our way, because we have a better perspective, or are we falling victim to those influences within us and around us? Are, are we saying, I, I would pick up my cross for you today, Lord, but I'm allergic to pain. Trust me, I'm allergic to it. I would pick up my cross for you today, but I have to work all day today, and when I get home, I'm going to be tired. I, I would do it, but I'm too young. I would do it, but I'm, I'm too old. My family needs me to do this or that. I, I, I would pick up my cross for you today, Lord, but I really don't like so-and-so. Let's not look back on 2019 and say it, it wasn't too much different from 2018. Just kept doing the church thing. Let's set aside the pressures and hindrances of this world and put the will of God before our own. And live differently. Willing to say, let the will of the Lord be done. I see the warnings. I see what could happen. But I know the will of God. And I'm going to walk in it. Let me be part of it. I am ready. Let the will of the Lord be done here at Alden Union Church and in our own lives. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you do not hide from us the dread facts of walking with you, living for you, being yours in a world that hates you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this dread world and you perished, you died at our hands for our sins, and you love us madly, deeply, richly in your grace. Thank you. Help us to keep that perspective at the, the forefront of our minds, the, the forefront of our days as we wake up, as we go to sleep, to keep your cross right there, that it would influence our every action, our every word, that you would be our God and we would be your people, your tools in your hands for the sake of your gospel kingdom give to you our church family in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.